I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. We've started a series on Romans, and we are now at verse 18. We're going to be reading down through the end of chapter 32. We're jumping into the middle of uh, uh, an argument, if you will. Uh, Paul's making a case. He's building a, a series of statements, and what he has said before is that he is eager to come to Rome. He hasn't been to Rome yet. He wants to preach the gospel to the Romans. And he's explaining to the Romans the, the reason why he wants to preach the gospel is because it is the power of God for salvation. It's, an, it's the most important message there is. And he wants to broadcast it far and wide, including to the Roman church. Of course, they're Christians. They've already heard and embraced the gospel. They, they have uh, fallen in love with Jesus Christ and are trusting in the work that Christ has done in his life and death and resurrection. But still, Paul wants to proclaim it to them again. And he's so eager to proclaim it to him, he spends the whole letter explaining the gospel to them. So he's all about the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done. And now he's beginning to explain why it's so important that we hear the gospel, that, that it's important to be preached, it's important to be believed, why the gospel is necessary. And we pick up the reading in chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. May God bless the reading 
and hearing of his word and write its truth upon our hearts today. Well, everyone needs to believe the gospel. That's what Paul is talking about here, and he's telling us, as I said before, why it's so important to believe the gospel. And he's actually going to make a longer argument than what we've read here today, beginning in chapter 1, verse 18, going all the way through to chapter 3, verse 19. He's explaining why everyone needs the gospel, the good news of God's powerful salvation through Jesus Christ to all who believe. Particularly through Christ, God has graciously provided a righteousness that is credited to the one who puts faith in Christ, the righteousness of God. Well, simply put, what he's going to be saying in these two chapters, basically, is that all have sinned and fall short of God's standards, God's righteousness, his holiness. All have sinned from the most irreligious person all the way to the most religious, moral, orthodox person who thinks they have the corner on God. Everyone, everyone, every human being is powerless to save themselves from the righteous judgment and condemnation of God who created everything. We must believe the gospel because we cannot save ourselves. Today we're going to look at this, the first section of this argument. In it Paul says three things. He says more than three things, but I'm dividing it up in three things. First, we need the gospel because God's attributes are perceived. Secondly, we need the gospel because God's person is ignored. And we need the gospel because God's wrath is revealed. Well, he begins the, the, the statements that he's making here by telling us that God's attributes are perceived. You see it there in verse 19. What can be known about God is plain to people. It's plain. God has shown it to them. God has graciously uh, shown us himself in his creation, his invisible attributes, like his eternal power, his divine nature. They're clearly perceived, he says, ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. God has clearly revealed himself to all people in creation. You think about that. An artist reveals themselves in what they draw, paint, and sculpt. You can learn something about an artist in the works of art they create. The divine artist, God, has revealed himself in his creation. The Bible tells us in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. So every day, creation is telling us about God, and everyone hears that voice. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, and the psalmist goes on to describe the sun and how it proclaims the glory of God. All of creation points to its creator. And people know that. It's clear to human beings. But we suppress that truth. We push it away. When Paul was in Athens, of course Athens being a pagan city and people worshipped many idols and he walked around the town and he saw all the different idols that were made there. 
And as he addresses the crowd that's gathered, he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. So Paul's telling them, look, God has made us to seek him. He has revealed himself in creation and we should search for him to, to find him. And how we handle that knowledge, we will be held accountable for that. Humans are without excuse. Verse 21 is clear. They knew God. They knew God. But they pushed that knowledge away. We need the gospel because we were made to seek and know God. But it is only through the power of God, through his powerful working in us through Christ, that we can be welcomed into a relationship and come to fully know God. Creation only tells us a limited amount of things about God and being sinful human beings, we don't properly interpret everything about creation. But everyone knows that there is a God, even though they might deny it. Augustine said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. We were made to seek and to know God. But what do human beings do? And that's my second point. God's person is ignored. We need the gospel, not only because God's attributes are perceived in all of creation, but, but because God's person is ignored. That's really the crux of the matter, isn't it? It'd be one thing if we could look out throughout creation and go, yes, uh, there's a God and, and I want to know him. That would be wonderful. But the human tendency is to push that knowledge away, to want to be gods ourselves. He says here in verse 18, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. People suppress the truth through unrighteousness caused by ungodliness. Or we could flip it around. Ungodliness leads to unrighteousness. When we say ungodliness, it means living contrary to proper religious belief. Um, it means godlessness or impiety. Those are different ways you can translate that word. But, but what it means, it, it means living as if God does not exist. If you live as, as if God doesn't exist, you're godless or ungodly. That's what he's addressing here. And when you live ungodly without reference to God, without... Uh, uh, acknowledging his authority without acknowledging that he's the one who made you and the one who is controlling all of creation who deserves our worship then unrighteousness is opened up because you push God away you push away uh, him out of the picture and then what do you have? it's a free for all we do whatever we want to do if we don't have God, we don't have anybody else telling us what we, we can do. And so unrighteousness flourishes 
where there is ungodliness. If one lives as if God does not exist, then one can ignore his laws and rules. Paul fleshes it out here in verse 21. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. See, they didn't honor him as God. That's being godless. They did not give him the glory due to him. That's what the Greek word there is. It's the word for glory, glorifying him. They did not give him his proper due. You know, he is glorious. He is the king of all creation. He's the supreme being. He's eternal. He's holy. And being godless is not honoring him as God, not giving him his due, nor it says they're giving thanks to him. God has given us the very air that we breathe. He's given us the life that we live, the bodies that we have. He's given us every good and perfect gift. Yet these people want to push God away. They don't want to acknowledge him. They don't want to, uh, first of all, they don't want to honor him as God. And they are certainly not thankful to him because they're not acknowledging that he even exists. And Paul tells us that this type of thinking is futile, vain. It causes the heart to become darkened. So darkened that they're not even aware that they're being foolish. Claiming to be wise, they become fools. This echoes what we see in the rest of Scripture, Psalm 14, Psalm 53. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And Paul's actually going to quote Psalm 14, Psalm 53 is the same, uh, in in the next chapter, chapter 2. He's going to talk about there's no one who does good, no one who is righteous. All are corrupt. The heart is the center of our inner life, our spiritual life. When God is rejected, darkness reigns in the inner person. This results in our worship being off. That's what he's saying here. Uh, Because they have rejected God, because they have thrown off the knowledge of God, uh, unrighteousness fills the void, the thinking becomes skewed, and darkness fills the heart. Worship goes off. If we're not worshiping God, the supreme being, worship has to go somewhere else. Human beings are worshiping creatures. We cannot help but worship something. And when I say worship, I mean ascribe worth to something. Something we, we, uh, we ascribe value to things. Some things are more important than others. And that's, that's just the way we are as human beings. There's always, every moment of your day, something that is most important to you at that moment. You, you, you can't help it. Being it. it may be getting something to eat at 12 o'clock. That's a, that becomes higher up my list of priorities at lunchtime. It may be success. It may be uh, relationships. But we value something above everything else. And whatever that is that we put at the top of that values list is what we, what we call our God. It is our God. It is what we worship. So when we throw away God... The void is filled with worship of created things because there's, he's the only uncreated thing, so anything else that we would worship is a created thing. He, he's taken off the top of the values list. 
and then created things. And he's talking about idol worship here, and that's certainly true in some cultures. Our culture tends more towards the, the heart variety of idols, things that our hearts long for, whether it's success or money or status or relationships, material possessions, creature comforts, substances, or even just ourselves, whatever we deem most important to us. And then verse 25 sums it all up. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. It all goes back to the very beginning, to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, the, the serpent tempted them with it by telling them that they would be like God. And that's what human beings, we want, to, we want God out and ourselves in. We want to call the shots. We want to act like God. We want to be God. That's exchanging the truth about God for a lie and worshiping something that's created instead of the creator. We want to be like God. We throw God to the side and ignore him and decide for ourselves what is worthy to worship and what is not. We put ourselves in the place of God. Verse 28 expresses it as not acknowledging God. We're not acknowledging God. We're not listening to him. We're ignoring him, pushing him away. And this is a fallen tendency, a, a fallen human tendency that is true of all of us, a tendency towards godlessness. We naturally push God away and want to live life without reference to him. And that's the problem we have. Human beings have this problem. And when God is ignored, this passage tells us, thirdly, that God's wrath is revealed, and he describes it for us. Verse 24 and following describe for us what Paul says is happening. You notice it's present tense. It is happening. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. And when we think about God's wrath, we don't think of it in human terms. God doesn't fly off the handle. He doesn't lose it uh, like uh, some people do. Uh, he doesn't, goes in, doesn't go into a fit of rage. God's wrath is his holy revulsion against that which is contrary to his holiness. It's against evil. Ungodliness is an affront to God, obviously, because you're trying to push him out and replace him. And he doesn't sit idly by, but he brings about justice because he's holy and just God. So how is God's wrath revealed? Does he come down with lightning bolts? No, he tells us here. Three times he says it. God gave them up, verse 24, 26, and 28. God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And then in verse 26, he describes that more. God gives them up to dishonorable passions. He delivers them up. It's, the same, it's actually the same word that is used for what Pontius Pilate did to Jesus. He delivered, them, he delivered Jesus to the authorities. Pilate delivered him up to be crucified. It's the exact same word. God delivers people who push him away up to sin. They're, they're delivered up. And when God is pushed out of someone's life, when God is pushed out of a culture's life, and we see this in Western civilization, when God is pushed to the side, sexual sin enters in. And that's why sexual sin is rampant. It addresses homosexuality here and condemns it, uh, talking about in, in the most clear terms. And it, it goes on from there. 
People who are made in the image of God, this is not just picking on homosexuality, these are people made in the image of God, and when culturally we throw aside God, sexual sin becomes acceptable and, and, and the, 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 the culture is ripe to fall into this trap of doing things that are against our humanity, things that are not in agreement with the image of God in us. Paul's describing that here, but he goes further. Verse 29, a whole list. We may not be able to identify with homosexuality, but the, the rest of the list here will hit every one of us. All manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, children over here, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. It's the price you pay for being a preacher's kid. You know, we're, we're all guilty of sins on this list. And when we push away God, this is what enters into our lives. And that's why the gospel is necessary. Verse 32 tells us that, you know, not only do we do such things, but we, and, and we know that we deserve to die. That's a, it's a profound statement that he makes there. Even though we're pushing God away, even though we've fallen into sin, we know these things are wrong, and we know that we deserve to die. We still do it, and we encourage other people to do it. We're sick. We've got a serious problem. What can be done about it? And this, this is why he's telling us all this. Go back to the verse 16 and 17. Paul wants to preach the gospel. We need to hear the gospel. We need Jesus. And we don't need... We don't need to do something ourselves. We need God's power to change us. Who can deliver us? Paul's going to talk about in Romans 7. He's going to talk about his struggle. He doesn't go into great specifics about what he's struggling with, but he talks about he wants to do one thing, but he does the opposite. And he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me from, from my tendency to go down the tubes? to go down the spiral of sin, to reject God. Jesus Christ is his answer. That's what Paul's saying. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, he says. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. We need God's power to be unleashed in our lives, to, to pull us out of the drain because we're swirling down. And that's what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Rescued, rescued us from certain destruction, from certain death. The only way that we're going to see a change in our culture, not just our individual lives, but through our culture, is for people to turn back to God, to acknowledge Him, to honor Him as God, and to look to Him to powerfully save them from their sins. That's the only way that we can come into a relationship with God whom we were made to have a relationship with as human beings. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed by faith. The only way that we live is putting our faith in what Jesus Christ has done. And God can powerfully save us from what we've read about here in chapter 1, 18 to 32. I pray that everyone will...
cry out to God and that His power would be unleashed in your life by faith, by putting your trust in Jesus Christ, the only way of salvation. Let's pray together. Father, we do deserve to die, and we see ourselves caught uh, in our own sinfulness, in our own desire to be our own Lord, our own God. Father, we pray that you would help us to live in dependence upon you, to, to, to cry out to you for help, for salvation, to, to stop our stubbornness and refusal, to acknowledge you as God, to honor you as God, and to give thanks to you. But Lord, we do. We stop. We pray, Lord, we know we're sinners. And we pray, Lord, that you would change us, forgive us, cleanse us, help us to see our brokenness, help us to see in you the only way that we can be saved. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.